Welcome to City Life Church Podcast. Our desire is that all may come to know Christ and fulfill their purpose in life. We welcome you to head over to our website for more information. God bless you and enjoy the message. Well, it's great to wake up to sunshine this morning. I know it's been a little bit uh, not so sunny lately, but uh, I love the sun and uh, it's supposed to be uh, nice this week and a little bit cold coming up soon. Who knows, we may see some snow one of these days. Oh, come on, I like snow. Yeah, see, more, yeah, see, you like to look at it, yeah. I'm still a kid at heart, so I like driving in it, so just, that's just me, as long as you stay safe and do, you know, the right thing doing that. I, uh, continuation of our series, Built to Last, how many of you have gotten anything out of this so far? Uh, this series, three, four, five, six, all right, seven, eight. I've had several people talk to me or text or email and say that there's been certain areas or aspects of this that have really been beneficial and, and profound for them. So uh, God is faithful in that. And so we're going to continue that this morning. And I, we're just talking about real life things that we all deal with, practical things, stuff that we go through in life and uh, we face challenges in our life, we all do, and some of you are going through challenges right now, some maybe you've just gotten out of a challenge, or maybe you're heading towards one, whatever that is, we're always in that place of having to trust God and, and believe that he is who he says he is, and he is a good God, and he loves us this morning. I, I have a question this morning, how many have ever made a judgment about somebody or said something in judgment to somebody about a decision they made or something they did that you thought they need to be corrected a little bit in that or what they're doing isn't right, to later come into the same experience yourself and not heed the judgment that you were calling on the other person. (laughs) There's a few hands. I've been there. It's interesting. Judgment is an interesting thing. And I want to talk about, that's one of the things I want to talk about today. And then I want to finish up this morning talking about unbelief. So we're going to talk about those two things this morning. Lord, I just pray right now as we look into your word this morning to see what you say. Because it's so important to find out what you say. Because there's all kinds of voices that are around us telling us this and that and Are those good voices or are they bad voices? But one thing we know is your voice is a good voice. And we want to hear your voice this morning. So our ears are open to hear. Our hearts are open that we would receive. And Lord, we would be able to put into action those things this morning. And we thank you, God, for everyone here. And I pray for all the sicknesses. I've heard many people are sick. Lord, reach out and touch them wherever they're at in their situation and raise them up. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, we often try to use scripture verses to back up our judgment towards somebody. It's interesting how we do that. And when in reality, we're violating scripture by our very act of judgment. We think about that because it's easy to place judgment on somebody and try to find a scripture. In fact, it's easy a lot of times to find a scripture. 
But this morning, we're going to look and see what the Word says. We're going to dive into this a little bit. But when we negatively judge people or circumstances, whether it's in our family, our friends, our church, or in the community, we really begin to close the door for God's divine grace to come in. So when we use judgment, it shuts the door of grace to flow through us. So that's something we have to be careful about. We're called to love people into the kingdom, not judge them, you know, into the kingdom. We would say we probably not want to come into the kingdom if that's what we were doing. But we tend to do that quite often. Our job isn't to condemn. We find that sometimes we do that. And, and maybe that's out of our own self-righteousness or our own weakness. We try to make ourselves feel better in life and around other people, maybe if we can call them out on something that we believe that they might not be doing right. The one story I want to talk about this morning really goes into this particular subject very, very well. So if you can picture this setting where Jesus uh, one morning goes to the synagogue, he's outside of it, and a bunch of people begin to gather around. The Bible says crowds begin to come around. And so crowds, I would say that's quite a few people. A crowd would be quite a few people. There's a lot of people there. And Jesus is just sharing out of his heart with those people. And then all of a sudden, while he's talking, it would be the same as what I'm doing right now, talking with people. There were the Pharisees and the teachers of those days of the law, they decide that it was an appropriate time to take a woman that was in the community that was caught in the act of adultery, the Bible says, and to parade her in and to bring her in front of the crowds to Jesus to expose her, to judge her in front of everyone and to try to trip up Jesus because they were so about the law because the law said she was to be stoned. Now, we know in the Old Testament, we read a lot of things, even the fact that children in rebellion would be stoned. See, that, that's something that is where you go, wow, that's pretty harsh. That's why Jesus came on the scene because he came to fulfill what the law intent was to do, but it wasn't able to do what he was able to do in regards to the grace and forgiveness and all of those things. So they bring this woman in and they say, Jesus, this woman has been caught in adultery. Obviously, we need to stone her. And Jesus stoops down and just starts writing in the dirt. I don't know what he writes, but basically he's just ignoring them. Like, he could have said a lot of things, ignoring, and this thing kind of goes on, and he gets up, and he said, hey, guys, I'm not sure where you're going with this. I understand your thought process, but whoever here of you is without sin, go ahead, throw a stone, throw the first stone. I think it caught them off guard a little bit because they knew in their heart 
In fact, one of them could have been called out by this adulterer saying, hey, you remember me from three weeks ago. Yeah. But for them, it was all about, well, the law says. And Jesus said, hey, if you don't have any sin, if you've got nothing going on there, go ahead. One by one, they begin to drop their rocks and begin to leave. And Jesus stoops down and he begins to write in the dirt again and he looks up and they're all gone. And he has a conversation. This is, remember, there's a lot of people there that are watching all of this. And he looks up and I'm sure she's very, uh, certainly humiliated, but they're probably prostrate on the ground in front of Jesus, wondering what is going to happen to me. And he looks at her, woman, where are your accusers? She looks up, they're gone, they're gone. He says, neither do I condemn you. I'm not accusing you, I'm not condemning you for anything. Go and sin no more. Don't, Don't continue in whatever it was you were doing. You're covered, I got this. I think about judgment and how we look at things so much that we feel like this needs to happen to that person because the Bible says, I've, I've been around enough years to know to be really careful of my words, of what I say to people, because I can mark my words that if I come off in a way that makes it seem like I'm being judgmental in any way, that's coming back to get me. <laughs> it is. And it's not because God wants to punish me, but he wants me to understand that it's not his heart for us to do that. His heart is for us to demonstrate love and grace and his mercy. Jesus really was, on his few short years here on earth, was really changing the culture from the culture of this is what the law says to a culture of this is what grace does. And so that was what he was doing. That was his teaching moment to demonstrate. It was the grace. We cannot be made righteous by obeying the law. We can't. And that was the the challenge and the difficulty of that. God knew that. But Jesus came to fulfill the law by taking our sins in his body on the cross. And he provided the forgiveness and the grace that we need and that we have received. And we are the reason why we're sitting here this morning is because of that. Romans chapter 6, starting in verse 14, it says, Sin is no longer your master, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. This is Bible. Well, then... Since God's grace has set us free from the law, does that mean we can go on sinning? Of course not. Don't you realize that you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. How many of us today, we want to choose obedience to God? We do, don't we? That's our heart. It leads to righteous living. We can choose to follow the path of where our sin takes us, but 
We have an opportunity every, every day, every time we wake up, to choose life and to go after that. Because there, we have an enemy that wants to take us out. We understand that. But he uses judgment to come and try to derail us. Here's what Matthew 7, verse 1 and 2 says. It says, do not judge others, and you'll not be judged. For you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judgment is the standard by which you will be judged. See, the Bible is very clear. So reap, so reap. And I've seen way too many times people be very judgmental towards others. And it grieves my spirit because I know, first of all, I know that I don't believe it's any believer's intent to hurt another person, but we do that when we are judgmental in a situation. Because I know that there's something that probably will present itself to them at some point to cause them to then go, hmm, <laughs> yeah, now I know what it feels like. And it changes our decision-making process when we're in the middle of something that we're experiencing that we've never experienced, but we've watched somebody else and we've judged that, but we're realizing that's when we're calling for the grace of God in our life. It's interesting how that works. Luke 6, 37 and 38, do not judge others and you will not be judged. Do not condemn others or it will come back against you. Forgive others and you will be forgiven. Give and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. Wow. God's goodness, it, it, man, it, run, it pours. It, it, when we forgive and we're forgiven, because that's such a huge part of life, the Bible is so clear on that. Pressed down, shaken together, running more over, poured out. Come on, God, thank you. Thank you for your blessings. Romans 14, 1 through 3. Accept other believers who are weak in faith and don't argue with them about what they think is right or wrong. We tend to get in their stuff. We well, shouldn't be doing that, shouldn't do this, this, that, that. For instance, one person believes it's all right to eat anything, but another believer with a sensitive conscience will eat only vegetables. Call those vegetarians. Those who feel free to eat anything must not look down on those who don't. And those who don't eat certain foods must not condemn those who do, for God has accepted them. There's space we just need to stay out of. Basically, is saying, hey, stop judging people for how they do things. And, and stuff. This isn't where everything isn't hinged on what you eat. <laughs> it's not about what we eat or drink, right? Righteousness, peace, and joy. This, these are things that we need to be focusing on. James 2.13. There's no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others. But if you've been merciful, God will be merciful when he judges you. I don't know about you, but I'm so thankful when I need grace and when I need mercy, it's there. I'm so thankful for that. So that puts us in this place when we are able to free ourselves from judging, to be not being judgmental, we become free to walk in love. Because that really is the opposite, is walking in love. 
It's a person's adoration of God, strong affection for another arising out of kinship or personal ties, unselfish, loyal, and benevolent concern for the good of another. It's just a pattern that we get into of expressing love to others. We're commanded to love according to the scriptures, right? That is a command. Love is a heart issue. It really is. And it's something, it takes time to unfold. It's not something you just walk in and go, hey, man, I love you. Now, some people can do that and say that, but it is a genuine uh, sense that we get with our heart that we're moving towards something. So understanding that love, as in 1 Corinthians 13, it doesn't keep count of wrong. It doesn't pile up all these things that are, go against people. We're not counting or keeping score of errors and mistakes that people made. Oh, you did that, you did that. So I'm not going to love you today as much as I did yesterday. All these things that we're trying to, placing another person's feelings in front of our own is what we need to be doing in the, and showing and demonstrating an act of love. That's part of breaking down that wall of judgment. John 13, 34 and 35. So now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. This is what Jesus said. How much does he love us? A lot. We can't measure it. He's telling us, we, you need to love other people just like I love you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you're my disciples. Come on. Are we really his disciples? If we are, we're going to demonstrate his love to other people. John 15, 12. This is my commandment. This is my commandment. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I love you. It's a commandment. It is a commandment. Romans 12.10 says this. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. That's another part is honoring people. Honoring. It's putting ourselves second in so many, so many cases. 1 Peter 3 8 and 9. Finally, all of you should be of one mind. Sympathize with each other. Love each other as brothers and sisters. Be tender-hearted and keep a humble attitude. That's probably one of the biggest keys, having a humble attitude. Because it's easy to not have a humble attitude at times. Don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with blessing. This is what God has called you to do, and he will grant you his blessing. You know, probably one of the best things you could probably do when somebody is treating you horribly is just send them a card and say, hey, I really care about you. I, I thank God for you in my life. You're a great, awesome person. That really puts a fire out because... So many times when in our retaliation, what does that do? It, it just keeps that cycle back and forth of negativity flowing. But if we can heap love on people, it's like it's a great diffuser in many situations. The second thing I want to talk about this morning is unbelief. Unbelief. And it's the attitude or state of mind of one who does not believe. Unbelief toward himself was the prime sin of which Christ said, that the Spirit would convict the world. 
of unbelief. The children of Israel didn't enter into God's rest because of unbelief, because of disobedience and lack of faith. There was a, there was a lot of things that happened. They disobeyed. In some translations, uh, disobedience and unbelief are used in similar, similar ways that we see. In this place, if we truly, truly believe that Christ is who he says, then we're going to walk in the fact that we believe what his word says and we believe it's true in our life and we're going to grab a hold of that. We can transform a community, we can transform a world when we believe so strongly and so profoundly what it is that we're going after in life. You don't have to look any farther than when I was talking about the Israelites. When they came out of Egypt, God set them free and it was so obvious. And Moses led them out and they've come to this place and they've been moving for a while. And they come to this place called the Red Sea. And then all of a sudden they're looking back and they're seeing the Egyptian armies coming. And they panic and get into this place of crying out to God and then yelling at Moses, basically. Just all of their unbelief begins to come out, all their lack of faith, all of the things. I can't believe, we can't believe that God would bring us out here. Moses, you would bring us out here to die. We had it much better in Egypt if we could have just stayed there. We'd rather die and be buried there than be die, die and buried out in the sand somewhere. This was a horrible idea. It's a horrible plan. When reality, <laughs> there was some excitement about being able to be freed of slavery, being of slaves in Egypt and moving and, and eventually getting into this promised land that God had, had given them. They had forgot about what the promise was, and they were looking at the problem, and it became much greater than the problem. And so their unbelief began to surface very strongly. Moses was able to, as a leader, to speak to them very clearly and told them, don't be afraid, stay still here and watch God rescue us. We have to believe him because of what he said he was going to do. So Moses was trying to speak that. He said that the Egyptians that you see behind you right now that are coming toward us, you're never going to see them again. He was prophesying something there in confidence and boldness and believing the word of God. And he said, the Lord himself will fight for you. How many of us have ever been up against the Red Sea? It's huge. We can't get across it. And we see the enemy coming at us and we feel like, wow, we're hosed. <laughs> There's no way. We're in a no-win situation. And then our unbelief begins to come out. Well, God really isn't who he said, because if he was, he wouldn't have allowed me to be in this situation. We have all these things that we go in our mind and we're challenging ourselves with. So we're dealing with unbelief. When in reality, God wants to come in and he wants to, to change that to where we absolutely 100% believe in what he said, who he says he is, and our walk with him. If you jump forward then, after they get across the Red Sea, there's this promised land, the land of Canaan. So they're sent out to go explore. So we see in Numbers chapter 14, and I'm just going to read four verses here. This is just a continuation of the unbelief. The whole community began weeping aloud, and they cried all night. Their voices rose in great chorus to protest against Moses and Aaron. 
if we'd only died in Egypt or even here in the wilderness, they complained. Why is the Lord taking us to this country only to have us die in battle? Our wives and our little ones will be carried off as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to return to Egypt? Then they plotted among themselves, let's choose a new leader and go back to Egypt. Wow, what, what happened? You had Joshua and Caleb who came back with this an amazing report. We can do this. Look at the fruit. Look at the, all the abundance that we can have. But then you had the opposition that come, well, they're too big. They're giants. They're, you know, it, it would be too hard. They would just wipe us out. No, I don't think we can do this. And the people believed that over what Joshua and Caleb were saying they could do. They had this unbelief that was in their, was just inside of them. And Moses was trying so hard to break that. And I believe that God wants to bring us to that place of bringing us back out of our unbelief to believing once again that he is who he said he is. And he's more than faithful and just to bring us through those things. And we cannot turn our back. We cannot back down. When we're worshiping God like this morning and we feel his presence and we leave this place and we're going, man, yeah, I can go do this. And then all of a sudden something happens and we feel like, oh, we're backed up against the Red Sea again. So where do we go with that? We have to look at his word and what his word says. Here's some more on unbelief. Jesus (laughs) dealt with it all the time. So we look at Matthew 13, starting in verse 54. He, being Jesus, returned to Nazareth, his own hometown. When he taught there in the synagogue, everyone was amazed and said, where does he get this wisdom and the power to do miracles? Then they scoffed. He's just the carpenter's son. And we know Mary, his mother, and his brothers, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas. All his sisters live right here among us. Where did he learn all of these things? And they were deeply offended and refused to believe in him. Then Jesus told them, A prophet is honored everywhere except in his hometown and among his own family. And so he did only a few miracles there because of their unbelief. They just thought he was just another one of the guys. (laughs) Oh, he's just, we know his family. But he was the Messiah that came to change the world. We see in Mark 16, starting in verse 9. After Jesus rose from the dead early on Sunday morning, the first person who saw him was Mary Magdalene, the woman from whom he had cast out seven demons. She went to the disciples who were grieving and weeping and told them what had happened. But when she told them that Jesus was alive and she had seen him, they didn't believe her. It's interesting because the people who have had the greatest miracles are usually the ones who are the most excited in championing who Jesus is, who God is, because they've experienced it firsthand. And the old Christians that have been crusty and Christians for a long time, that oh, you know, that, well, that's good, but, you know, that's not always going to happen for you. So don't, don't believe that'll ever happen again, because we've been around a while. We know. No, because, man, you, you have a testimony, and you give it, and then God set this up so that Mary Magdalene was the one to experience this, because she was going out and saying how excited, and then people were trying to poo-poo whatever it was she was saying. Verse 12, afterward, he appeared in different form to two of his followers who were walking from Jerusalem into the country. They rushed back to tell the others, but no one believed them. Still later, he appeared to the 11 disciples as they were eating together. He rebuked them for their stubborn unbelief because they refused to believe those who had seen him 
after he had been raised from the dead. Even those people that hung out with him and knew him. Nah, Jesus can't be, that can't be Jesus. There was this unbelief that had worked its way into the lives of people. I believe that's a spirit that continues to try to raise its ugly head in our lives is that spirit of unbelief and doubt. When we get into a bad situation, we fall into this place of unbelief. Hebrews chapter 3, starting in verse 12. Be careful then, dear brothers and sisters, make sure that your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving, turning you away from the living God. You must warn each other every day while it is still today so that none of you will be be deceived by sin and hardened against God. That's what happens when we fall into this place where the enemy can come in. He finds an open door. He finds a little gap. And he comes in and he brings this unbelieving thing. He packs with them. And then pretty soon there's a deception that comes. Then we begin to harden our heart. Because he's saying, every day, every day, pay attention to this. Because the next day you could wake up and you're in a situation where the enemy has been able to take you off path. This is something we have to, every day, renewing, renewing our hearts. Washing of the water by the word in our minds need to be cleansed. Every day we need to be in this place of not allowing unbelief to come. So when we're able to see this wall of unbelief broke down and, and to be put to rest, we are free to live in hope. We had heard a scripture this morning. And free to live in hope is to expect with confidence Desire accompanied by expectation of or belief in fulfillment. There's an anticipation. There's an expectation. This morning when Caleb prayed for Ted, there's an expectation that God's going to do something. There's hope in the word of God. There's hope in us praying and seeing things happen. And there's no doubt that this morning when Caleb started to go toward Ted and pray for him, I think in our, some of our own minds we had doubt. Well... We'll see. We need to break that thing because we need to be free to live in hope, knowing there, there is a hope that lives within us. There's, there's a faith that needs to be released. Our hope lies in that he is who he says he is. And he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. And we're seeking him. We're saying, God, we're, we're open for what it is you have. He rewards those who diligently pursue him. Hope is one of the three characters of our Christian walk, faith, hope, and love. There's three things that we need to walk in. Now, the Bible says the greatest of these is love, but we have to have all three of these things. There's a hope that we're wanting to see come alive in our life. We are confident that Jesus Christ is coming back for his bride. That's us, the church. We're confident in that. Very confident in that. In fact, not to digress, back in 1988, there was people so confident that he was coming in 1988, they did a lot of bad things, made a lot of bad decisions with their finances. That's not what God is asking for us to do. But we have to have the confidence knowing he's coming. And we want to be ready for that. Coming for his bride. In the meantime, we're to be diligent at sharing our faith with those in our community that need Christ, that need him in their life, just like we have him. 
I was just recently told by somebody in our church that a friend of theirs is soon to pass away, but they rededicated their life to Christ. They were a Christian, but walked away and turned their back on the Lord, but just recently rededicated their life to Christ. That's good news. That's good news, because that's, that's what we're there to do. We're to, to give people hope, even when they're hopeless, because the world is hopeless without Christ. Psalm 71, 14. But I will keep on hoping for your help. I will praise you more and more. I will tell everyone about your righteousness. All day long, I will proclaim your saving power. Though I am not skilled with words, I will praise your mighty deeds. O sovereign Lord, I will tell everyone that you alone are just. You know, that's coming from a man who's gone through some stuff. (laughs) He's been through everything you can think of negative in his life. And yet he is saying, I will continue to put my hope in you. I will continue to praise you. I will continue to trust you. O sovereign Lord, you alone are just. Romans 5, verse 1 and 2. This is the English Standard Version. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. This is kind of cool because have you thought of yourself standing in grace? It's not out there somewhere. We're in it. We're standing in grace. I like that. Into this grace in which we stand. Because the enemy liked to tell us differently. He liked to lie to us. And that God hasn't done these things for us. And then 1 Peter 3, 14 and 15 says, But even if you suffer for doing what is right, God will reward you for it. So don't worry or be afraid of their threats. Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks you about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. We need a testimony. Number one, if if we're saved, that's a testimony. You know, some people can say, well, I don't know. I don't really have a testimony. I grew up in the church. That's a testimony. (laughs) That's God's grace on your life. It's his protection on you. And we all have a different testimony. There's a hope that needs to be transferred from us to other people. Always be ready to explain what that is. 1 John 3, verse 1. See how very much our Father loves us, for he calls us his children. And that is what we are. But the people who belong to this world don't recognize that we are God's children because they don't know him. Dear friends, we are already God's children, but he has not yet shown us what we will be like when Christ appears, but we do know that we will be like him, for we will see him as he really is, and all who have this eager expectation will keep themselves pure just as he is pure. There's an expectation we have. I can't wait to see him. In the meantime, we have an assignment. We have a job to do here on earth. And it doesn't matter how young or how old we are. Whatever our situation is, we have an assignment. I have one more scripture to read this morning. Walking in hope. Hebrews 10, starting verse 23, 
says this, let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm. For God can be trusted to keep his promise. One thing we know is people can break promises. And we've probably experienced that. And so it makes us leery in putting our trust in people. Don't put your trust in people. We put it in God. Because people will let us down. They, and we are all human beings. We fail each other. But if we are looking to God, not to people, because we can blame, we usually like to blame God for what somebody else does for us or does to us. But we need to look to him. So verse 24, here's something important for each of us. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. We need to be motivating each other. If we, because if we, we're all going to be in a place where we need to be encouraged. We're going to be in that place of unbelief or discouragement. But if we can think of ways that we can encourage or motivate and love and good works. And it says, and let us not neglect our meeting together like we are doing today, as some people do. But encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. And I would say, previous generations have all said too, well, the Lord's coming soon. We'll still say that he's coming soon. We don't know when that is. But if you look around, things aren't doing so well in the world in regards to the picture that we maybe would have painted for what it would look like for us today. But we need to be there for each other. We need to love, encourage, motivate each other to share the hope that we have. Move out of that place of being judgmental to that place of loving and that place of unbelief to that place of having a hope, knowing who we put our trust in. Would you stand this morning as we conclude our service this morning and we're going to sing this song we sang a little bit earlier. Again, God is so good and he's so faithful. I just want to encourage you this morning to not allow the things that come into our life to try to derail us. Let's stand strong in our belief and our trust in him and say no to the enemy and he's a defeated foe. Amen? Let's, let's see. Thank you for listening to City Life Church Podcast. 